Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you doing, Al? I'm good, mate. I'm, 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 we're edging towards uh, the day that millions of people are looking forward to, so that's uh, that's a positive um, issue to wake up to, I think. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Al. And uh, thousands and thousands watched this game that we're going to be talking about on part two of Game of My Life, where we take a trip down memory lane and revisit an iconic moment or game through the eyes of the headline maker. And today we're joined by Alan Hudson. And Huddy, we're going to be focusing on Stoke City versus Liverpool, Easter Monday, 1975. And Easter Monday was the 31st of March that year. Yeah, uh, as as we've said before, there's two... There's, uh, there's something about me and Easter Monday because uh, the Easter Monday of 1970 was a life-changing match at West Brom where I went down the hole and missed the FA Cup final and, and Mexico of 70, which was the best World Cup of all time. Uh, so then five years to that exact same day, uh, there I was not going to play in the match through the injury that I got five years earlier. And... Uh, got to the ground and found that the Stoke Fire Brigade had been in and walked the pitch for me. So that was quite quite an incredible moment. Something that only one man could have done. Absolutely. And that man was Tony Waddington. Just going to go briefly through the lineups that day, uh, Alan. Uh, Stoke City managed by uh, Tony Waddington. Liverpool, Bill Shankly had gone from the managerial role and passed on the baton to Bob Paisley. Stoke City ran out 2-1 winners. The half-time score was 1-0 and 45,954 fans watched the game inside the Victoria ground. Stoke's lineup... 2-1 or 2-0? 2-0. It was 1-0 at half-time, Al. And um, te- both goals scored by Terry Conroy. One yeah. from the penalty spot. The lineups that day were in goal for... Do you want to give me what you thought the lineup was that day for Stoke City through your memory? That's a very good question. Um, well, we had just played. We had just played uh, on the Friday and the Saturday in London against West Ham and Arsenal. We drew both games, which might have cost us the league in the end. Yeah, and should have won them. And on the train coming home, I didn't think I'd be playing. So I've got a very good idea because the the, the the, the difficult part of this question you've asked is Terry Conroy plan because I spoke to Terry yesterday, funnily enough, and um, he was uh, he was uh, apart from Gordon Banks losing his eye the year before, which would have really cleansed the league for us. Uh, we missed Terry Conroy plan for us week in week out, and our, our goal ratio would have won us the league. He was fantastic when he came in, so. Uh, so Terry obviously played up front with Jimmy Greenoff that day. Yep, yep. Um, 
I can only think that um, we had Jeff Sammons, who's, who never missed a match on the left. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and it was always out of Sean Hazelgrave or Jimmy Robertson on the right. I would say Sean played that day. Uh, Sean was sub. Jeff Hurst played that day. Well, so Jeff played up front with... Uh, well, well t- so Terry Conroy started on the right then. Yep, so you got Terry, Jimmy, Jeff Hurst, yourself and Jeff Sammons as, right. as, as five really attack-minded players. Um, yes. Midfield... Well, the, the the rest the rest really picks itself. It's um, uh, when you say five attacking players, it's um, it, it, there was me and Mahoney. Yep, they Josh, played. Yep, Josh. Mahoney played. Josh played number four. I played number ten. Yep. Uh, right back, obviously, was Jackie Marsh. Uh, yes, it was. And the two centre halves, I, I can only think, would have been Dennis Smith and Alan, Alan Dodd. Alan Dodd played. Dennis Smith broke his leg against Ipswich on the 18th of March, which was the fourth broken leg that season. So Dennis didn't play. Eric Skills played instead. Eric Skills is uh, one of those players that nobody ever mentions. Uh, He marked me at Stamford Bridge in my first match when I must have made an impression on Tony and... uh, he man marked me. That was what he was. That was his forte. And uh, and we after that, when I moved to Stoke, we become very close friends. And yeah, so Eric was about five foot seven. Yep. And he played double centre half with uh, Doddy that day. Alan Blore was obviously out. Yeah, he was. He only played two games that season because he picked well, up an injury early yeah. doors. Well, it really makes it really makes our performance even the, the the more fantastic, really, because Eric plays about three games a year, yeah. and when he comes in, he he plays fantastic. He doesn't ever he never put a foot wrong, and obviously my best friend was left back Mickey Pedgick. Yeah, and Mickey Pedgick broke his leg against Wolverhampton Wanderers in a 2-2 draw. Um, that game was played on the 15th of February. Um, so you you had that season. John Ritchie broke his leg early doors against Ipswich away. Jimmy uh, broke his... Um, uh, he broke his... Jimmy broke his nose, didn't he? Jimmy broke his nose at Birmingham over the Christmas. Absolutely. And Jimmy Robertson broke his leg at Coventry away. And as I say, Dennis broke his leg. The left-back would uh, was Ian Bowers. There you go. There you go. That makes it even more incredible when yeah. you think they got the likes of Keegan. Yeah, and Shilton played in goal. Now, I'm briefly going to run through the uh, Liverpool we, we team. Paul, Paul, we didn't really need a goalkeeper that day. <laughs> no, I don't think you did. In goal for Liverpool was Clements. There was Tommy Smith, Phil Neal, uh, Phil Thompson, Peter Cormack, Emily Hughes, Kevin Keegan, Brian Hall, Steve Highway, Ray Kennedy and Terry McDermott. That was the Liverpool team. And as yeah, you said... Oh, great team. But as you said, Al, you were struggling because of the injury previously. Tony watered the pitch. What happened that day when you got to the Victoria ground? Because you didn't think that you were playing and you told Tony that you wasn't fit enough to well, play. I told Tony on I told Tony on the train yeah. coming back from London. We just played at um, Highbury. We drew two all and... Uh, 
or one, or we play. I think we played two, two, two at West Ham the day yeah. before. We played three games in four games, yeah, four days on very bad pitches, and my ankle couldn't take the uh, the hard pitches and stuff like that. And I, I, I was just, it, I, I wouldn't say I was in pain with my ankle. I just knew it. If I'd have played on the Monday, it it, it would have just done more damage. There was, it was untreatable, and because I'd been playing all the time. The doctors at Stoke weren't that good. I mean, our doctor was a gynecologist, so that just tells you that, yeah. you know, what he knew about ankles and knees. Um, and and then I, I, when confronting Tony, I said, look, Tony, I said, um, I spoke to him like I spoke to my dad and my, be- or my best friend. I said, look, I, I think Monday's going to be out for me. It's heartbreaking, but... You know, it, it's really, a, a, today they call it, was it two points a win then? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. today they call it a six-pointer, but in them days, I mean, it was a difference between us going on and winning the league or Liverpool going on to win it, really, because we. I, I, I truly believe when you mention our team, read our team out, and then you read the Liverpool team out, you wouldn't think that we could actually win the league. It was, they had so many big-name players. Yeah. Uh, and internationals or whatever. It just goes to show, um, after doing a show with uh, Dennis Mortimer, who you, who you put me on to the other day, that, that, that they won the European Cup with no internationals in their team. Um, but uh, on the, I remember we had, he, Tony's words to me were, look, when we get back, go into the hotel opposite, which we always did, the North Stars, right opposite the station, and we'll have a few, he said, we'll have a couple of drinks and we'll, we'll talk it over. So, him and I got into the uh, discussion and he said, look, please do me one favour. He never used to ask me to do anything. And he said, look, when we when this bar closes, please go home. Don't go to a nightclub standing about on your ankle. Don't, don't go out tomorrow, Sunday, and have a drink down your local. Stay in and prepare for the game on Monday because... I've, I've got a funny feeling we're going to have some rain, and I think the, the, the I think the ground will be all right for you. Anyway, I know I knew what he was on about because it, it, before that he told me stories about how he used to talk to Stanley Matthews into playing when he wasn't fit. But Stanley was fifty. Yeah. I was I was twenty four. Um, anyway, I, I woke up on the Sunday and I went down. I looked outside and it was we still had the drought on. Um, I knew that we had no rain, and on the Monday I woke up for the game knowing I wasn't playing because we still had no rain. <clears throat> I got dressed, I, I, I prepared just as if I was playing, but I, knowing I wasn't, which was even the more heartbreaking. And got in my car, drove down the A34, and all, all the way thinking, you know, how am I going to sit through this match? That's all over my mind. I'm going to have to leave if, if Liverpool go one now up. I'm, I'm just going to have to leave, get my car, and come home uh, because it was that, it was that vital a match. And uh, I got to the, uh, the as you as at Stoke City, there was used to be we used to get there was no dress code, there was no Tony did things so differently. There was no team meetings before the game. There was nothing. You just turned up by quarter past two for a three o'clock kickoff and get on with it. And I got there about 10 past two, as usual, signed the autographs outside the ground, only a handful of people, and uh, and walked through, re- really despondent, and uh, walked in straight into the dressing room, which uh, it was a very tiny corridor. The Stoke City ground was very small, and I walked in there, and I see my boots there 
sparkling and my shirt hanging up and a couple of other players I did, but I was quite ignorant about who was in the dressing room. And I just turned around and thought I'd walk in to see Tony and say to him, like, you tried this with Stan, it might have worked with Stan, but it's not going to work with me because I'm not going to... I'm not going to play against Liverpool, play badly, and we get beat because of my ankle. You know, it was that bad. And uh, I got towards his door, and as I got towards his door, I, I, something kind of clicked in my mind, and I, I turned back. And I walked down the tunnel, and as I walked down the tunnel, three or four of the Liverpool players were coming up with, coming up with mud on their shoes. And, and they said, to, I can remember someone, I don't know if it was Clements or... One of one of them said to me, uh, they called me Huddy. They went, Huddy, what's going on? We only live along the road. We, it took us 45 minutes to get here. It was Easter, Easter Monday, and uh, we haven't had rain for it's a, it's a drought. We haven't had rain for weeks. And I just turned around and said, Look, what you don't understand, the potteries is a strange. We've got our own weather. We got our own drizzle. We got our own weather up here. I, I said I, I hadn't even been on the pitch. I was just going to have a look, and I'm delighted to say that you're, you know, you're, you've got mud on them. And I turned around, walked away, and walked into Tony's office, and he just picked his head up from what he was doing, and he didn't show any emotion, nothing, which was incredible. It was like it was like a movie scene, and he just said to me, "How many?" So. I said, um, well, they're on their way, uh, Tone. I said, uh, you better give me 14. So he gave me 14 complimentary tickets, as he always did. He knew my all my family and friends coming up from London, every every home game, every away game. He gave me my tickets, and I just walked out, and he never said nothing. <laughs> there was no mention of the pit. There was no mention of me playing or not playing. He was like... You know, he was the opposite of Clouseau, you know. Yeah. He was so, so smart. And I just walked in and I was, I went from zero to uh, off the scale. I was just in heaven, you know, because I played well in London, them two matches. We we played well. We were playing well as a team. And I was sure we could beat Liverpool if I played. And uh, I just got ready for the game, warmed up. And it, the, my adrenaline, he just, the adrenaline was in, got me through it. And uh, the pitch was heavy. And I remember at one stage, we were 1-0 up and we, the ball was running towards the touchline and the, towards the director's box where Tony was. And my family used to sit there. And I remember nutmegging Tommy Smith along the way. Tommy came in with a sliding tackle to get me. Yeah. But he went, not, to, not to injure me, but to get me to... to to stop me and I just flicked it through his legs as he went down and, and ran away the other side and, uh, and my uncle had this habit of whistling and I heard my uncle's whistle of approval you know and it, and it was and it, it there was absolutely nothing that I, you know when the roof blew off the, the roof had to blow off that day to, to stop us winning yeah. we, we we were absolutely superb and I'm not just talking I mean my performance was the best of my life but I'm sure other players enjoyed my performance. But every man, every man. I mean, to beat that Liverpool team without the names you mentioned, with young Danny Bowers left back, Danny had only played a handful of games. He, he had a great potential. If the roof hadn't blown off, he would have been our, our, our next left back. Eric Skills, nobody knew how old he was. He didn't have a passport. 
Um, he was, and Alan Dodd obviously was my favourite centre half of all time. He's the best centre half I've ever played with, and and like Greenoff, uncapped. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was an incredible. And when Shankly came in the dressing room, it, it, I just couldn't wait because he 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 spoke to me in front of several players in the dressing room that you know are, you might say weren't weren't fans of mine. You know, I mean, what he did say is. I didn't think I'd ever see a performance that surpasses Peter Doherty, but you just did it, son. I mean, that was one of the greatest performances that Bill Shankly had seen. You mentioned and referenced the Butler Street stand that did blow off. In Block D that day, have a guess how much the admission fee was? Two bob. One pound ten pence. The, the, the programme with Jimmy uh, Jimmy Greenoff on the front of it was 10 pence that day. No, I've got, it, I've got it in my cabinet behind me, Paul. Have <laughs> you really? And yeah. a match report by David Gray, writing for The Guardian, said Liverpool feared Hudson's wit and imagination. Yeah, well, this is something that... Um, uh, you and I have had several several conversations about. I'm, I've, I've just kind of left my seat and I've just picked up a book that I'm reading at the moment. It is Andre Perlo. Right. Okay. Yeah. And at the top of the book, it's it, I've read I've read this book before, but I'm re I'm rereading it. And I showed it my friend yesterday, and I said, "Have a look at the top of this book," and it's it's got Andrew Perlo with Alexander Alciato. But on the top of the book, it says, I think, therefore I play. Yep. And it's what a wonderful way to tell anybody or any young kid or whatever that thinking is the most important part of football. Yeah. There's the thought that goes into a match, and he fought before matches, and uh, I wasn't. Had I been Italian, I think I would have been somewhere up there near Perlo. But he was a player of, of um, that could have. I don't think he could have put on a performance like I could. I did on that day because he never had the the kind of running power that I had. He was more of a. He was more of a, a kind of a technician who played the goal, the game that he he, he he I slowed the game down to my pace, but he 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 did it, he did it to the ultimate. I mean he. He was the ultimate midfield player, but he—I don't think he would have got away with it in England because of the, the coaching side of it, the aspect of it, you know. Now, you'd beaten Liverpool two 0 and you did mention that it would have been a six-pointer day. It was a four-pointer back in them days. Of course, it was two points for a win. Everton went top after that game, played thirty-seven and got forty-six points. Liverpool had been knocked off the top by you guys. Uh, 38 and 45 points and you were equal on points to Liverpool lying in third place on 45 points uh, by playing 38 games you had been top a few times that season it was nip and tuck and you famously said that we need eight more wins and we've got the title sadly you only picked up four of those eight wins in the in the running and you 
just fell short a little bit by four points, Hoodie. Derby eventually ran out winners, which you'd beaten in uh, March, on the uh, on the 15th of March, after your brilliant performance against West Germany. They finished on 53 points. Ipswich Town come second on 51. Liverpool on 51. Everton on 50. And Stoke City on 49, followed by Sheffield United. And you got beat 2-0 by a Tony Curry influence performance, who done a double bow that day when they uh, ran out 2-0 winners. So it, it was a case of if only, wasn't it, for that season? But you were the best football team of that season. And Tony Waddington got you guys playing total football, didn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, I mean, I can only go by the way I feel and I can yeah. only go by. I, I'd experience playing for Chelsea in, in 70 when we won the Cup and 71 when we won the Cup and Cup. Uh, we... We had a, a trem- we wasn't the best team in the country. Uh, Everton proved that in '70. But yep. the difference between us and Everton was we were a better team than Everton that year. But they had Alan Ball. Yep. he was he was a difference. He won them the league that year. I know Joe Raw might argue that he scored a lot of goals, and but Harvey and Kendall would say that Alan Ball was the greatest player they've ever seen. I'm sure. Uh, so I did. I did. I did experience playing at that level uh, and never come close to winning a championship. And although we never spoke about, we never at Stoke ever ever. I was listening to somebody on TV the other night talking about, you know, winning the league. Do you, do you speak about it? Talking to a, a present day player. And I said, well, of course we don't speak about it. Well, we never spoke about it. Nobody ever spoke about winning anything. You just got on with the next game. Um, and I never even thought about winning. I never thought this was a league-winning team. The only time I, I thought that we were, we had a chance to win the league, and, and my father said it to me, it was when Peter Shilton made his debut for us, and he, he played it, it, it was at Wolves, and he, he put on some performance. Uh, it was his conditions. It was very muddy and wolves. We kind of soaked up the pressure, but they were getting a lot of shots in, and Peter was out of this world. And uh, I remember him walking into the players' bar after, and my father said to me, "This could be your year with him in goal." Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, he never kept them standards up. Yeah, you disagreed a little bit with your father then, because you 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 rarely did. But you believe that Farmer was at least as equal as Shilton, and, and you're right. In that season, he did make a couple of uh, blips that ultimately did cost you. Also, what cost you was the nil-nil draw away at Luton when you scored a goal that that was cleared off the line, but you swear blind it was over, and so do many other uh, players and and fans that was there. And Sammy missed a penalty that day as well. So near yet so far, wasn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm a great I'm, I'm a great believer in fate. Yeah. Um, I think that was fate. I thought the referee's decision, if, if <laughs> even the VAR would have given that one. Yeah. Um, it was it was that far in, and I remember the the, the fullback. I think the fullback went on to play for Tottenham, a, a big coloured uh, fullback. It was a big big boy, and uh, he had long legs, and he he scooped it out. He must have scooped it out because when I turned away. Uh, to celebrate the goal, there was no, no, no 
silly what they do today, these silly dances and all that. Yeah. I just turned away, lifted my right arm as much as say, well, we won this game now. They, they, there's no way Luton were going to score two against us. And uh, and to my absolutely amazement, the game carried on. Yeah. And I, and I couldn't believe it. I, I had reactions with uh, the referee. Uh, I don't know why the linesman never gave it, the referee never gave it. It was it was a yard in when I turned away, and anyhow, um, there things happened in that game. I remember walking off the pitch and there was a policeman in the tunnel and a Luton fan spat in my face, yeah. and uh, I just was so annoyed. I just spat back at him. I know it's a terrible, terrible habit. And he screamed to the policeman, he spat at me, and the policeman went to grab hold of my arm. And I said, no, no. I said, uh, it was, it didn't happen that way. It, and I just grabbed my arm off him, I said, and walked away. I said, look, you better, you better throw that fella out, mate, because you don't go around doing that. I've done it in frustration. I shouldn't have done it. I said, but get on with it. And, uh, and, and then, obviously, in the second half, uh, I know he missed a penalty in the second half because it was up the other end. It was very unlike Jeff Sammons to miss a penalty. Uh, he was a great striker, but we never missed penalties. Um, but that day, it, it wasn't to be. And that, as you say, I mean, it was only the one point, but it, I think it had more of a psychological effect on us than anything else. Other teams must have looked at the result and said, oh, Stoke might be cracking up here, you know. Mm. But we wasn't. We played outstanding on that day, but we just couldn't score. And, and we did score, and he disallowed it. And, you know, it, what annoys me with the FA and FIFA and everything else, that things haven't changed yeah. uh, in, in the refereeing department and results. And this season as well is going gonna to be decided by a referee and not a player. Absolutely. What really probably, looking at the season as a whole now, um was the defining, well, three games, a run of fixtures that you didn't grab any points from that ultimately cost you. And that was after the Birmingham City game where Jimmy scored two great goals and broke his nose. You then went away to Leeds United, got beat 3-1, played at home to Arsenal and got beat 2-0, which you had a magnificent unbeaten home run when you joined Stoke City. And then and how, how they how they won that day I would never know. We that was incredible. That was possibly our finest performance, apart from the Liverpool match, that was probably our finest performance of the season. Alan Ball played for them. Uh and we absolutely tortured them. Yeah. And we I remember it in the bar just after half time. Uh I was good at hitting the bar by the way. <laughs> but, um, uh I can remember we actually absolutely dominated the game throughout and tortured us. But I think what happened with, with the Arsenal game, I think because the boys before me, um, the the older older generation, they, they had them two semi-finals with Arsenal when they were yeah. cheated out of one. They were definitely cheated out of one by a referee again who played seven minutes over time and give a, a dodgy free kick and corner or whatever that they were cheated that day and they still feel cheated and rightly so so Arsenal I kind of had uh, the, the voodoo over yep. Stoke on that day it proved to be right again we, we we absolutely murdered them I think they had two shots it's quite incredible and then away at Coventry in the game that uh, Jimmy Robertson broke his leg he got beat 2-0 so you lost three back-to-back results so 
even two points from from those games or a win and a point would have took you over the line. You've said to me, because um, you joined Stoke City in January 1974 and they had a bad start and, and got into Europe that season. The season after, you almost won the league. Had Peter Osgood have joined you at Stoke City and given you that extra goal power, I think that you would have won the league, I think, back to back and records would kind of stack up that that Stoke City I think would have won at least one uh, league title is if you look at your 42 games the first 42 games that Alan Hudson played you were uh, you won 19 drew 14 lost nine you would have had 52 points and Derby County won that season on 53 points again so close, fine margins, and if onlys. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's the game of football. I'm Absolutely, sure, I'm sure every player and every um, uh, every fan, um, everyone has a story of where it all went wrong or yep. what might have been. Uh, but when you're involved in that kind of uh, uh, I I didn't know. I'd heard all these stories about four broken legs in one season, and I didn't really take much notice of it. Yeah. I was I was too wrapped up in how I was doing because um, from the moment I set foot in in the potteries and, and met Tony and played for Tony, I didn't play. I played for Tony, and then I played for the fans, and the, before that, I played for myself and my family, but. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really play for Stoke City, the football club. Uh, I, my love for Stoke City, the football club, would mean that I've, I would have some kind of connection to the directors and everybody else. Well, yeah. there was no, the, the chairman was a nice man, Mr Henschel. He was Tony's ally. He was his, but in the end, they stopped Tony. And um, so it, I was too wrapped up. I was I was also banned from England at that time, so I put all my eggs in one basket, and I and I thought, look, well now you're not going to ever get picked for England again. You you have to just and I think Tony loved that part of it. He wanted me to play for England because he, I was like a son to him, and he he, he knew I I deserved it. But he he, he was happy more than happy that I that I did it my way, and. Uh, I just played for Stoke City that year, so I had absolutely no no where where some players would think, oh, I can't get injured this week. And, you know, there's an international in the week, and I want to be there. They they kind of play. They put more. I know some players preferred playing for their country. They did their club, but yeah. not me. I played for Waddington. Absolutely, and I just wanted to put the case there out that how close Stoke City were. Because sometimes we just look at the winners, who won the league, who won the game, but there's fine margins. And you've identified a number of games. We both have identified a number of games that if it had turned out another way, Stoke could have turned out champions of England for the first time in their history. And to top it all, you were voted in the PFA Team of the Year. You were two seasons on the spin whilst at Stoke City. Tony Waddington and and the press, um, I suppose through the pressure, Don Reavy 
picked you to play for England, sadly only twice in 1975, and you were third in the Football Writers uh, Player of the Year awards uh, that season as well. But what I don't understand about the Football Writers is um, uh, in 1970, in my first season in the game, I was runner-up to Billy Bremner. Yep. Uh, Peter Osgood scored about 40 goals that year. Peter Osgood should have been player of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I was second to Billy Bremner, and yet I weren't even Chelsea's player of the year. John Hollins got that, yeah. and Peter Osgood was second, and I think I was third. So they polls mean nothing. Yeah. Um, and if I was second in 1970, I must surely have won Football of the Year in 1975. There was only, you know, you mentioned earlier on that. Tony Curry put the, the dagger in our back at Sheffield. Yeah. I think he was magnificent that day, as only he can play. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think in 1975, I should have been Footballer of the Year, no doubt. I mean, uh, the year before at Chelsea, I should have been thrown in the Thames yeah. for the way I was playing. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm no dreamer when it comes to... Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bit, I am my biggest critic. But I can tell you when I played well and when I didn't. Uh, but I, I'm also very good at having a bad memory when it comes to bad games. <laughs> <laughs> Udi, you have a wonderful memory of games and it's been a tremendous trip down memory lane, sir. So can I thank you very much? And finally, what's I think, that? I think, Paul, yeah, I think you should thank the fire brigade, not me. <laughs> I think we'll go out with the Roy Wooden Wizard. <laughs> Although it wasn't Wizard in them days, it was the move, wasn't it? The Fire Brigade, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a great one to open the show, yeah. <laughs> was it your... Was that your finest game of your career, Alan? Because we're going to revisit a few iconic games that you played in, but if it's not the top one, it must be near the top, surely. Yeah, without a doubt. I was... Um... It was kind of, apart from me saving three penalties and scoring three goals, it was a perfect uh, performance from a, a number, uh, they call it a number 10 today, which I don't, I don't agree with why they call it a number 10 today. I don't even understand it. But I, I, I believe that number 10, as I said, Perlo, uh, all the great inside forwards were number 10. And I think it was a great it was a it was a perfect performance, and and as Shank, I mean Shank Bill Shankly don't doesn't go into the away away team dressing room. Although he wasn't manager, but he was still Mr Liverpool. Yep. And uh, I, I think that 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 shows just not that not my performance, but it just shows what kind of man Bill Shankly was. Um, it, it, for once, he probably the pressure was off him and. To see a performance like that reminded him of, of his all-time favourite player, which yeah. was Peter Doherty. And uh, I'd never seen Peter Doherty play. My father did. And when I told my father, he said, yeah, it was some footballer. But only Bill Shankly knew how good Peter Doherty was because he played with him at Preston. So it must it Well, yes, there, there's no doubt. I mean, even going back to my school days, you know, when I, I was... Kids tell me that I was head and shoulders above them at school and... Uh, however good I was at school, I could never, ever imagine that I could play that well in, in 90 minutes, considering I wasn't playing two hours before the kickoff. Absolutely. Al, what a joy. Those were the days, my friend.
Oh, yes. They, they never end. They, they, they just keep on haunting us, don't they? Of course. Uh, if we, did, if we didn't get the four broken legs, who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers, pal. Till next time. Catch you later. Thanks. Cheers, Al. Thanks for the memories. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Al. way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim, all made right here in the USA with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23.